Welcome everyone, I'm Kathy Bixell. Well, on today's podcast, we are continuing our study on how to cultivate a Christian worldview. I certainly hope that you were able to join us for the last two. Uh, It would certainly help if you listened to those before you got to this part, which is part three, this episode three. But we have established, first of all, the importance of cultivating a Christian worldview. We've looked at why we need it, um, the importance of it, how it is uh, especially helpful and uh, important as we process, the, uh, especially process the events going on in our nation and through our world. And so today we are going to continue with that study and uh, begin to look at how our biblical worldview uh, affects our understanding of some pretty relevant cultural issues that are going on in our nation. So uh, I believe it's just going to be one session today where we are going to talk about justice, the whole concept of justice, and we are going to examine how biblical justice differentiates itself from the popular concept of social justice. And then I hope to, over the next couple sessions, begin to talk about socialism, Christian socialism, Marxist socialism, and how all these worldviews conflict with a Christian biblical worldview. So I want you to stay tuned. I know I have some friends that have been telling me they've been passing on the podcast to other friends because uh, I am a Holy Ghost woman, preacher, revivalist, and I'm, I love uh, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, teaching people about how to be activated in their spiritual gifts, and um, just uh, encouraging the, the flame of God's love in their hearts to be, you know, fanned into passionate lifestyles for Christ. But I've really felt the um, urging of Holy Spirit to take a very uh, strong, methodical um, approach to giving you, my listeners and followers of the minis- of the ministry, uh, an understanding of the times that we are living in and how we can respond in a way that brings God pleasure, but that also keeps us emotionally and spiritually and probably physically healthy in the midst of all the chaos and uh, all the things that are happening all around us. So in Isaiah chapter 55, there's a scripture that many of us are familiar with, and it begins in verse 7, where the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have love, pity, and mercy for him, and to our God, because he will multiply to him his abundant pardon. And then the Lord goes on to say, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. How we think and what we think is the origin, is actually the origin of the kind of life that we experience, whether we walk in the light or we walk in the darkness. It begins with thoughts in our minds. And God is saying to the prophet to tell the people, that they need to forsake their unrighteous thinking. And so what I established in the last two sessions is that we could have a thought 
and a thought process and a paradigm of an approach to certain current issues that we think is righteous. But if it is not holistically founded in the scriptures, we can take one verse, one thought from the Bible, and create an entire approach to something that is not contextually accurate. So this is important for us to understand as we closed out the last broadcast that the, um, or I should say podcast to be correct, that, that the prince of the power of the air is the one who is operating right now. He is the invisible man in the world system who, who creates sin or brings sin uh, into manifestation through the human heart through speaking thoughts. It's how it began in the garden. He plants a thought and we as humans begin to act on the thought he plants in us. It's no different than that which happened in the garden. In James chapter 1, verse 13, the apostle James says, when you are tempted, don't ever say God is tempting me, for God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he is never the source of temptation. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag him into evil and lure him away into darkness. And evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it says in the Passion Translation of this verse, it can murder you. So the point here is that we don't want death to come into our thought life. Amen? All right, so let's talk about justice. Justice, we hear a lot about justice in our world today. And there is uh, a lot that the Bible says about justice. Justice is, is uh, the concept of justice is foundational to the scriptures. In Psalm 97 verse 2, we are told that righteousness and justice are the actual foundation of God's throne. True biblical justice as we see communicated through the scriptures, is the execution of God's righteousness. In other words, when we talk about justice biblically, we are talking about accomplishing what is right to God. Never in the word of God or in the heart of God is righteousness achieved in an unrighteous way. And that is going to be critical in our study today. Deuteronomy 16, verse 20, Moses writes, justice, justice, you shall pursue it. Justice, justice, you shall pursue it. And I would venture to say that the world that we are living in is the state it is in because we do not pursue justice and truth, especially for the downtrodden. And that is biblically and scripturally, the importance of justice is to execute God's righteousness, not my personal righteousness, but God's righteousness, the way God sees things, the way God wants things to be in the earth for the betterment of all of us. That's what justice is. If our approach to justice is going to be biblical, it is going to have God's, what is important to God at the forefront. 
Now, let's dissect this word. If justice is accomplishing God's righteousness, okay, let's let's look at this word a little bit, uh, and we'll go to the Hebrew because the Hebrew it, it, it communicates the Hebrew mindset and helps give us some a uh, deeper understanding in ways that we can we can know that we are moving in justice that is motivated by God's heart and by the Holy Spirit because we are. We are, the church is the one, is the vehicle through which the light comes to the darkness, through which justice penetrates the world, okay? So this word uh, justice in, in the Hebrew is the word T-Z-E-D-E-K, tzedek, and it means righteousness or justice, and it is a word used to describe an attribute of the Lord himself, that he is tzedek, he is just and he is righteous. He is called the Lord, our righteousness, the righteous God. That word is used, justice and righteousness is this word. He is called the righteous judge and so on. God's righteousness implies that we who are created in his image have a duty to exercise righteousness in our everyday lives. When the, when the Bible speaks and the Hebrew speaks of this justice or this tzedakah, this righteousness, it is regarded not only as an act of kindness, because sometimes it's translated charity. It's not I'm going to be just, I'm going to do the kind thing. Inherent in the Hebrew understanding is that I have a moral obligation to do the just thing. Okay? That is really powerful. I have a moral obligation. The exercise of justice inevitably involves the judging of ourselves and also of others. Well, you say, well, I thought we're not supposed to judge others. But, we, but there is an, an aspect of judging others that is critical in terms of judging another person's actions. So inherent in this Hebrew understanding of justice is, or the concept of justice or righteousness, is that it implies that we can discern what is morally true, and it therefore requires that we make, we make judgments relative to the standard of the scriptures. So when God says something, we make a judgment based on what he says. That becomes the standard, what God says. But all judgment scripturally has to be tempered with grace with grace and love. And actually in the Hebrew mindset, when we that when we judge mercifully and, and in accordance with the truth of God's word, this is powerful in the Hebrew mindset, that when we do judge mercifully and truthfully as the foundation of God's throne, that God's presence joins us in accomplishing that justice. If that is so needed right now, we need God to come into our justice if we want true biblical justice, we want God on the scene. And what the, the Hebrew word and the Hebrew mindset uh, 
through the rabbinical mindset even, is that when true justice is accomplished, God comes in on the scene himself to establish that justice and make something right that is wrong. I just love that. That is so good. We want the presence. But conversely in that understanding is that if we act corruptly in our seeking of justice, we push away the presence and we are left alone in our anger and in our human efforts to try to achieve a goal, but God is not in it. And that is really, truly critical. Uh, Jesus encouraged us that whatever we wish that others would do to us, that we would also do to them because that's what was in the law and the prophets. So we see in the Old Testament understanding of justice is this pursue it, pursue it, do to others what you would want to be done to you. So as we judge others, we, um, you know, we, we have to be careful that we are not looking at others from a selfish perspective and working out our own kind of justice because we've judged them without God's word as the standard. Actually, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy that says, you shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial and you shall not take a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. So we need to pursue justice in a righteous manner. So nowhere, and this is going to be important when, as we are comparing biblical justice and our current modern day social justice. And I'm going to take a a moment here to to say this to you, that I know that I possibly, my my intention is just to lay out, not even necessarily a biblical argument, but to lay out what is in the scriptures. And because it's important that as Christians, we, and I talked about this in the last podcast, that we just don't jump on these bandwagons and we don't understand what we're doing. We can have these virtuous, noble goals, but if we don't do it God's way, we are laboring in vain. And from my perspective and in my prayer time, I perceive And know, and I know my listeners do, that there is a lot in our world that isn't right. And we want to help bring light and make things right, but we don't want to waste time. We don't want to squander a generation pursuing a noble goal unrighteously and end up 30 years from now, not having any headway in economic justice, in racial justice, in in these areas, um, in, in political justice even, that we do not make any headway in these areas because we just we just glob on to what the spirit of the age is feeding us as opposed to opening the Bible and finding out what the spirit of the age is perverting. Because justice is important. It, 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 to say that we don't want justice, that's not Christian. We want to have justice. 
But are we going to have justice that is birthed out of a humanistic mindset? Or are we going to open the Bible and say, wow, look what is possible when Holy Spirit comes and brings justice through us? Amen? So the scriptures never advocate uh, a uh, pragmatic type of approach to justice. There is no, uh, as one author said, I read, there are no noble lies in the kingdom of heaven. Violence, whether verbal or physical or deception done in the name of God is always a bad idea. We must always use restraint and, and caution when we are fronting oppression in our world. If we want to change the world around us, it has to start with us. And if there is the evil that we are speaking against is in our, in our own heart, and we have not first judged ourselves in the Hebrew mindset, then justice will not be accomplished. accomplished. Our God is a God of faithfulness and truth, and he will never call us to use unethical or evil means to affect his righteousness. And that includes all the many aspects of our world where we need justice. I, I hesitate to use something so, so practical and basic, but I was raised from the earliest time I can remember that two wrongs don't make a right. And sadly, in our culture today, we think that if we feel something, if we feel something, then our feelings around something justify our actions. So even if our actions are wrong, because we felt it was right, it makes it right. And that is error. And we will never be able to confront true injustice by simultaneously acting unjustly against injustice. All right. So hopefully I have made my point. Because basically in the Hebrew mindset, that doing and being are the same thing. So there's no being righteous aside from doing something righteous, okay? So that is another, another key part of it, that Jesus, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, he is the king of righteousness. And as the king of righteousness, we are his righteous followers who need to pursue justice, so it's really important that as we are marching around screaming for justice, that just because we do that, we think we are on the right side of God, we may not be on the right side of God. It's how we do something. We cannot employ methods that contradict his ways. And that is not only, I'm not only talking about violence, physical violence, but we often are violent when we are uh, um, angry about injustice, and see, anger is not a sin. It's what we do with our sin. But we can speak things and say things with our mouths that are birthed out of hatred. And that, to God, is just as unjust. Um, and, and I'm going to talk about, give you a couple of those examples. So when we're approaching some of these things happening in our culture, don't you think that it's pretty smart of the devil to get us to get us upset about injustice and thinking we are morally right that we are on the right side of something because we truly 
love the poor and the oppressed and the widow, all those things that Jesus talks to us about and the Father talks to us about in the in the scriptures that, that we understand through the scriptures. But then we go on to accomplish that in lawless ways. The enemy has us on his turf. When we do you know that the enemy is called the devil, the adversary is called the lawless one. And so when we act lawlessly in our accomplishment of justice, we are now on his turf. And then we are open to all the ungodliness, all the demonic oppression that is connected with that lawlessness. And that is what we don't want to see happen, right? That's not good enough. That's not righteous enough. We want true justice. Now, I opened up this podcast with Isaiah 55. So let's just uh, quickly go to Isaiah to because Isaiah actually is one of the the one prophetic book that really uh, talks about or reveals God's heart around injustice. And I'm just going to read to you a couple of scriptures out of the Passion Translation, and then you can do some of your own your own uh, homework. But here in Isaiah chapter 1, what God, what through the prophet is saying to the people is that he is sick and tired of all their religious acts, all of their festivals, all of their gatherings, all of those, all their sacrifices, all their religious activity, when they don't have his heart towards the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. So listen to what he says here. He said, and he tells them that this this lack of justice and this oppression of the poor, that it is a stain on them, that it is a sin. And he says, you can repeat all your prayers all you want, but I will not listen. For your hands are stained with innocent blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove your evil actions from my sight and stop sinning. Learn, this is what he says in verse 17, learn what it means to do what is good by seeking righteousness and justice. Rescue the oppressed, uphold the rights of the fatherless, and defend the widow's cause. And then he goes on to tell them that if they do that and take those deliberate steps, that that though their sins stain them like scarlet, that he will whiten them like bright new fallen snow. He goes on to describe uh, at the end of this chapter in verse 21, he he describes how injustice has caused the society they are in to collapse. He says, look how the once faithful city has become as unfaithful as a prostitute. She who was once the center of justice, where righteousness made its home, is now the dwelling place of murderers. Your your rulers are rebellious, companions of crooks. They are self-centered racketeers who love a bribe and who chase after payoffs. They don't, wow, now that is in the political system right there, and I will go on. They don't defend the fatherless or consider the rights of a helpless widow. Therefore, here is what the sovereign one decrees, the Lord God of angel armies, the mighty one of Israel. I will get relief from my adversaries and avenge myself on my foes. And I will put my fiery hand upon you and purify you with fire into something clean. 
So this is the reason I wanted to read this was as I'm going to next go on to describe or differentiate for you the difference between biblical justice and social justice is that we need to recognize that there is injustice in our society that we have a moral obligation to address. But what the but what I am laying out before you is how we do it is important. It is so important. It is equally as important as the injustices. But that and secondly, that this affects God's heart that God's heart is for the those that are oppressed and he is expecting us as his people to not have a blind eye to it that we can't just watch the collapse of our society and the suffering and not have a heart to alleviate it because we ourselves are comfortable and it may not touch us Okay, so that is important because I don't in any way want anything I say, especially when I begin to speak on socialism over the next several lessons, uh, episodes, I should say, that that I am saying that that justice is not an issue. I have just spent 25 minutes establishing for you that justice is on the heart of God and it needs to be on our heart and it is foundationally part of having a true Christian worldview. Okay? So hopefully that helped. Now with that said, I want to dive in as we are um as we are coming towards the wrapping this up over the next uh, 10 minutes or so. But I wanted to talk to you about uh the difference between biblical or the difference between what we hear popularly coined as social justice versus biblical justice. And I think that it's um, a, a real important distinction that we need to understand. I happen to come across an incredible article uh, that I'm going to glean from for my next several comments, written by um, an actual a counselor who had written this um, exquisite article on, on this distinction between these two types of justices um, uh, that was uh, she writes for uh, the Patheo site. And within this article, she does a wonderful job of helping us understand that in a true biblical Christian worldview, we need to understand that Jesus did not just come for the poor and the marginalized. He came for the sinner. He came for rich sinners, poor sinners, black sinners, white sinners. You know, this is me expounding here. He came even for politicians. Paul went to Caesar. Paul went to Festus. Paul was sent to kings. He has sent us with the gospel message that all have sinned and all have, and this is critical to understanding how biblical justice differs from social justice, because what we're going to discover is that social justice initiatives currently are heavily weighted with anger and hatred for certain groups in society, society that they believe deserve deserve to be punished for their sin more than their sin. Okay. If that makes sense, that there is a difference, 
um, in how we are to approach different sectors of society and different people groups in our culture. And what I want to say to you is that biblically, that is an error because Jesus does not, never makes a distinction, uh, never makes a distinction between people's identity uh, racially or culturally, for that matter, or economically. When we look at the scriptures, we see that Jesus, and these are the scriptures that, quote, social justice, for lack of a better warriors, use to justify their causes, okay? And it's true that Jesus did, in fact, minister to the poor. We see all through the Gospels how he ministered to the poor, the sick, and the diseased. He ministered to widows. He raised the son of a widow up from the dead. He ministered to orphans. Those He tells us to go to those in prison. These are the people that Jesus embraced and loved. And he showed them his kindness and his compassion. And also because many of them had condemnation for their own sins. And he ministered to them that they would not feel unworthy, but they would receive forgiveness and not condemn themselves. But Jesus also died for the rich man, for kings and queens that realized that they too needed saving. His Jesus forgiveness extended to the Pharisees, and we know what he thought about them, who in their religiosity missed the point. You know, he died for the educated elite. He died, he died for in successful investors, if only they were to, to forsake their love for the world and follow him. He, every socioeconomic, cultural class, ethnic group Jesus came to, to save because each of them are sinners, okay? But in our world, we have this uh, identity politics and the dis, the dis, that are never, it's never that concept not in the Bible. This distinction Jesus taught was never about skin color, religious, religious division, ethnic or cultural or even political positions. In John 3.16, we see the basis of the biblical worldview. We are reminded that Jesus, as God's son, was sent to die on a cross because God so loved just the poor, just the oppressed. No, God so loved the world. And that means the, the world means everyone in the world is a sinner and equally needs saving grace. And this includes privileged people as well. Now, I know that I might potentially get some blowback because this seems like a little nuance. But I want to say to you, it's the little nuance where the enemy captures us, okay? So we can't allow, because what I'm we're going to find out that certain aspects of this privilege are heavily in, in, enveloped and interwoven in antichrist ideologies that are presented as the solutions for oppression and wealth gaps in our society. And this is important. So we can't, it's just, and I say it all the time, it's a little bit of poison. It just takes one thought. This is Jesus came 
to save the world. Jesus didn't hate rich people. He didn't hate one class of people over another. All need saving. So no matter what, so no matter what our socioeconomic status is, every single believer has been greatly forgiven and we all have a huge responsibility to shine Christ's love to other people. And when we single out a social cause and we judge everyone who does not see things our way and we look at them as an enemy, that is really unhelpful and does not execute justice God's way. A matter of fact, uh, the author here goes on to say, and I think that this is important, she goes, we veer far from biblical justice when we start to call our fellow brothers and sisters on a different political spectrum than us, racist, bigots, misogynists, and we call them judgmental, we call them evil, or we call them unloving, that we ourselves are, when we do that, when we call those names, we ourselves are not judging the actions and, and working in God's kingdom justice, we are ourselves singling out those, we are in fact singling out those people of as worthy of, uh, in a self-righteous way of worthy of judgment in a way that we are not. This is where Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. That is my added thing. Jesus said, without, he was without sin cast the first stone. There's a lot of rock throwing and the rock throwing doesn't accomplish anything, right? Our biggest priority as Christ followers, she writes, is not to achieve social justice or equality on the earth. As many Christians think that is what we should do, believe that that's what we should do. And she writes, and I agree with her, that this in the kingdom of heaven this is a low bar for Christians to set as a goal, to just create equality. Jesus taught that the one who owes more debt will love Jesus more when he feels forgiven. Likewise, he who is forgiven little loves little. The emphasis from Jesus is not which one of you humans is sinning more. Rather, the emphasis of Jesus is which one of you is more aware that you are a sinner and in need of my forgiveness. Neither the elite, the educated Pharisees, nor the sinner woman, the adulterous woman whom the Pharisees judged was evaluated by Jesus on their level of sin. That's because she realized or excuse me, instead, Jesus pointed out that the woman, especially the one whose sins were forgiven, loved Jesus much. That's because she realized that he can and has forgiven her many sins. So she proceeds to express her worship and appreciation by wetting and kissing Jesus' feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, and anointing his head with expensive oil. So basically, what she is saying here, which I think is so important, is that only a perfect lamb and a perfect model of truth and grace can participate in the righteous com condemnation of another person or group of people. 
And Christ already leveled out the playing field as the living word of God, who for in his time and all time walked with us in the flesh, Jesus already leveled the playing field by making every human being's need of grace the leveler. The, he is an example of the ultimate grace, forgiveness, and servant leadership and truth that we all need. Jesus leveled the playing field. So hopefully that's given you a little bit of insight to make that distinction, that when we talk about biblical justice, we understand that the, that the things in the world that are unjust stem from sin. So as preachers of the gospel and purveyors of the kingdom, how we move in justice is to get people's hearts changed. And that is, it's really um, such an important aspect. And she actually, which is something that I have been very, uh, very much thinking about, is that when I listen to what is happening in the culture, especially around these social justice movements, that we are often in this vicious cycle. I ask the question, when will it end? What is the ultimate that they are after? Is the ultimate for everybody to have the same thing, the same little house, the same, you know, many people say, well, we just want to equal equal the, the playing field, so to speak, where everybody starts. But we're going to find out as we discuss even that over the next two weeks, that 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 is not biblical. That is not biblical. And that's shocking to some people. Is it good for all people to have some of the same opportunities? Absolutely. But that is different. And I, I don't want to get too far into that because I will be going into my, my discussions on socialism. But I do want to focus on this one thing. And that is, must someone else she asked this question, must someone else be nailed to the cross for the shame of sins that Christ already freed them from? How do we each become more Christ-like, exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our being and our doing? So those are the questions that we have to answer. How are we, social, uh, uh, biblical justice begins with us. And I have here, uh, going back to Isaiah, going back to Isaiah, the portions of scripture that I read you out of Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter one and two, that there is a remedy for God's justice. You know, when we want justice that is born of the spirit, when the Holy Spirit begins to move through us in justice, Wow, that is powerful justice. And there's a portion of scripture here in Isaiah, back at uh, chapter 1 and 2, where, where God is confronting them about their injustice and about the oppression of the poor. When he says that he is going to rise up in Isaiah 1 verse 26, 
It seems in the scriptures that I see through Isaiah two remedies for injustice, how God comes down through the power of his spirit through his people to execute justice. It is number one. He restores deliverers as in former times and wise counselors as at the beginning. Only then will you be called the righteous city and the faithful city. So he said, um, yes, Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant converts with righteousness. So it starts, biblical justice starts with repentance for our own sins, the own way that we have treated other people and marginalized and demonized people of any culture, any race, any economic status. That is not, the demonization of people is not God's way. And what what the prophet says is, God is going to raise up leaders that will lead us in the right way. So this is how we need to be praying, church. This is how I have been interceding for my nation. And I, when I go on the web and I, and I research these incredible voices that God is raising up to help us think differently about how we're approaching these, these flaws in our, in our society, the sins that are in in mankind. It first begins with the preaching of the gospel and the respect for others and recognizing that we are all sinners, that these racism is a sin. Greed is a sin. Hatred is a sin. Unforgiveness is a sin. Uh, violently abusing people with your mouth is a sin. Gossiping is a sin. Bribery is a sin. All of these things are a sin, and so we begin by preaching a message that shifts the way people thinks, think, and this is what God's solution is, isn't that? I will restore deliverers. Yes, Lord, send wise counselors, raise them up in every people group in our land. Yes, Lord, raise them up in the black community, the Hispanic community, raise them up in the white community, raise them up in the in every community. See, we really shouldn't even have to be saying all of that, but because the way our world is, we do. But really what God is after is an understanding of the one new man. That is the one race. It's the one new man, the Christian man. And he says that when we do that, the powerful elite will become like kindling. And then I love this uh, portion of scripture in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22. This is really the one that I love. And Brian Simmons in the Passion Translation does a wonderful commentary on this. Um, here in verse 22, remember, this is God's second, this is God's uh, another revealed solution to injustice. He says here, uh, where is that? Oh, here it is. He talks about... Um, people hiding when they start to see God's glory coming, the presence of Yahweh, verse 21, and from the majesty of his glory, when he rises to shake the earth mightily. I believe that in this new era, part of the why some of these injustices are coming to light is because God is shaking. His glory is, is causing the darkness to come into the light so that we see the things that are wrong that need to be made right. 
And he says, when he rises to shake the earth mightily, and verse 22, so once and for all, stop trusting in man who is but one breath from death, frail and puny man. So this is it, my listeners today. And this is what he says with all, uh, Brian Simmons writes, with all our boastings and with all our ingenuity and marvelous inventions, man is but a poor, vain creature. In all our littleness and helplessness, we must turn away from the answers of men and ask for the breath of God. He says here in verse 22, who is but one breath from death? We need the breath of God and not the breath of man breathing in our streets. We need the breath of God to come alongside righteous voices, pure voices, holy voices that are not judging and maligning people and separating and dividing by identity. We are in Christ. Amen. Oh, I just looked at my time here and I am at the end of how long I should be going. I'm actually... 10 minutes over. But I thank you so much for joining us today. And hopefully this podcast uh, just awakened you to think differently. And, and if you need to repent, repent. When I've read this word, I've needed to repent and adjust my thinking. So I encourage you to do the same and let God's justice, as the prophet says, run through our nation like a mighty stream. Please don't forget to follow us on social media, kathybixel.com. If you have any comments, suggestions, um, anything, just uh, email us at podcast at kathybixel.com. Again, that's podcast at kathybixel.com. And if you want to give to support these podcasts and help uh, the ministry in this season, please feel free to do so at kathybixel.com. You can hit our donate button there and also uh, look at, uh, I would say look at my itinerary, but haven't been going anywhere because we're in lockdown. But anyway, we love you here at Kathy Bixel Ministries and we are praying that the light of God's word is breaking through the darkness and giving you peace, that God is on his throne of justice and righteousness and truth and he is going to be on the move in this season. You have nothing to fear. Just get in alignment with his word and his heart and it shall be well with you. God bless you and I'll see you. uh, Tune in next week as we embark on our study of socialism. Thank you for listening to the Kathy Bixel Podcast. For more information about Kathy, our upcoming itinerary, media resources and more, visit kathybixel.com. Again, we want to thank you for taking the time to listen. The Kathy Bixel Podcast is produced by Newgate Media, copyright 2020.